0: Half of Calvary Chapel Reading, welcome to the Bible teaching ministry of our senior pastor, Jim Jarrett. Here's Pastor Jim with today's study, designed to help us grow in the Word. Remain standing, take your Bibles, turn if you will, once again to Romans chapter 1. And we will finish this section today. Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to read the entire section. Chapter 1, verse 18 through verse 32. So if you will follow along with me as I begin now in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen." For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. May the Lord bless this reading of his word and our time together in it this morning. You may be seated. In January... Uh, of this past year, January of 2021, the Daily Caller reported this. The rules package for the 117th Congress includes a proposal to replace gendered language referring to a representative's family members with gender-neutral terms, gender-neutral terms, House leaders announced today. Democratic California representative and also Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, A Democratic Massachusetts representative, James McGovern, chairman of the Rules Committee, announced changes to the House rules that that will honor all gender identities by modifying the pronouns and familial relations references in the rules the Committee on Rules announced. The resolution would change pronouns and familial relationships in the House rules to be gender-neutral or removes references to gender as appropriate to ensure we are inclusive of all members, delegates, resident commissioners, and their families, including those who are non-binary. The new rules also change seamen to seafarers, chairman to chair, and submit his or her resignation to resigns, according to the resolution. References to fathers, mothers, fathers, Sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, and in-laws would be changed to parent, child, sibling, spouse, or parent-in-law, according to the resolution. Extended family members would be referred to as child's parent instead of aunt or uncle, step-parents, and siblings-in-law. Thanks to the leadership of Chairman McGovern and our members, Democrats have crafted a package of unprecedented foolishness. No, that's not what it says of unprecedented, bold reforms which will make the House more accountable, transparent, and effective in our work to meet the needs of the American people, Pelosi said in a statement, end quote. If that's not bad enough, on January 4th, the House adopted the new set of rules for the 117th Congress in a 217 to 206 party-line vote. And a few things I've already mentioned, but I'm going to mention them again because they're so appropriate to the passage, the section we're in this morning. You'll remember that a month or so ago, our governor mandated gender-neutral toy aisles for large retailers. HHS official, Mr. Levine, Mr. Levine. A transgender, a man who identifies as a woman, was named the first ever female four-star admiral in the public health corps, and the news hailed it as a great day for women. The United States issued the first passport with a gender X designation and expects to be able to offer the option to non-binary, intersex, and gender non-conforming people early next year, the State Department said. And as I've said before, I've lost track of the numbers of genders they claim now exist. I guess it's supposed, or I suppose it, it depends on whose list you read. Tumblr has a list of 112 genders currently. I heard of another list that has over 200. The sexually explicit books for toddlers to teens that appear on public school reading lists on the subject of homosexuality, and transgenderism are really unmentionable from the pulpit. The one category is is transgender books for children of all ages, including a book entitled Neither, describing to infants a land of this and that of neither and of both. Another Another book's title declares that It it feels good to be yourself no matter what your gender identity is. Parents Magazine, widely read uh, national publication, carried an article dated November 4th of this year about a mom from whole England uh, showing parents how easy it is to introduce your little ones to the concept that women aren't the only people who ministrate or menstruate. This woman posted a super cute photo of her four-year-old son, Eli, holding a pinboard sign that reads, Some men have periods too. If I can get it, so can you. I mean, that should be child abuse. In an article dated October 21st of this year, parents carried an article titled, Trans and non-binary people can be pregnant too when talking it said when talking about reproduction reproductive rights and gynecological health transgender folks deserve the same inclusive and affirming care as cisgender folks cisgender that's that's you and i that starts with changing the language around transgender pregnancy Another article in Parents titled, How Doctors Are Supporting Transgender Children, says even before a child is born, parents learn their baby's sex, sometimes throw a themed party to announce it to friends and family, and then expect this child to conform to social gender norms after birth. But for an estimated 0.7% of young people, the gender they identify with is not the one they were born with. In a section of the article subtitled, What Does It Mean to Be Transgender or Gender Diverse or TGD, reads, doctors as well as parents previously might not have even had the proper language to describe and understand what being TGD means. So the new policy also clarifies that. Natal gender or sex describes the gender assigned at birth based on anatomy, Gender identity is the internal sense of what gender a person is and can also be a combination of both genders or neither. Those who are cisgender identify with their natal gender. Those who are gender diverse may not. Gender diverse is an umbrella term for all the many ways gender can be identified. Transgender is a subject of those whose gender identity consistently over time doesn't match their birth sex. Parents should note that this is separate from sexual orientation, which is the gender a person is sexually attracted to. Gender identity develops before puberty and is really about self-perception and self-expression. Even young children can have a gender identity that's different from their natal gender. It simply has to do with how they see themselves. This is doctors helping people. I have an article here on gender neutral pronouns, a comprehensive guide. I mean, some of you may, be, may work for businesses and you may be going through this type of training. And if it weren't so tragic, it would be good comedy. When I read this, it's like this is absolute insanity. It's insanity. I have another article from Epic, the Epic Times, from yesterday. Leaked audio reveals how California teachers recruit kids into LGBTQ clubs. Apparently, they had a, uh, a seminar down in uh, Palm Springs. The CTA did uh, on sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, however, according to um, The writer, The Purpose of the Conference, appeared to be about teachers showing other teachers how to undermine the authority of parents and school administrators and conceal conceal activities related to gender inclusion and sexual orientation from them. The overarching theme of the classes uh, that this one teacher attended were California teachers instructing other teachers how to sneak in the LGBTQ plus curriculum in a manner it does not alert parents. And it goes on uh, to tell uh, teachers in conservative areas how they can skirt the issue and deceive parents and recruit kids into these clubs. I mean, in our society, we have reached the point where we no longer call moms moms or mothers. Now they're birthing people. And that is because some women identify as men, and it's not respectful of their gender fluidity to refer to them as moms. And of course, when one of these women that identifies as a man becomes pregnant and gives birth, people and and news outlets across the world celebrate it by declaring a man or a father gave birth. I mean, all of this is past the point of any kind of reason or logic based on truth and scientific, biological fact. I mean, men identifying and and dressing like women and being given, under protection of law, the right to play women's sports, the right to use women's restrooms, dressing rooms, locker rooms, is absolute lunacy. It's sheer stupidity transgenderism and gender fluidity, and all of this transgender perversion is just madness. It's madness. So how do we explain all this? How do we explain this moral chaos and collapse we're seeing in our nation? How do we explain such twisted, illogical, and make no mistake about it, delusional thinking? Romans chapter 1. This kind of thinking comes from a debased mind. America is under God's judgment, His wrath of abandonment. God has lifted His hand of restraining grace and actively given us over to suffer the consequences of the sinful path we have chosen as a nation. And this tragic reality has happened to nations, cultures, and denominations. It's happened to countless individuals down through the centuries. In the closing verses of Romans chapter 1 that we're looking at this morning, we see the final outcome of any society that rejects the knowledge of God. And here we find the warning signs, the the marks that reveal the impending death of any nation, culture, or society. Here is the downward spiral and the ever-increasing darkness into which a God-rejecting people descend until they self-destruct. The sobering truth here in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 to 32, helps us to understand the world we're living in today. But what the Apostle Paul says here is diametrically opposed to what the world believes. I mean, This understanding of world history and this present generation is the antithesis of every other man-centered world view. But this is the divine perspective revealed to us by God and His Word. This is something you will never hear any place other than in a church, a faithful church, where the Word of God is declared, it, the whole counsel of the Word of God is declared. And as we learn, beginning in verse 18, the wrath of God is continually being revealed. In other words, it's, it's happening now. America is now under God's judgment, His wrath of abandonment. It's now being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And in verses 19 to 23, we saw the reasons for God's wrath. God has made himself known to every man, but men by and large have rejected this knowledge. And as a result of their rejection, Paul said they became futile in their thinking and foolish heart. their foolish hearts were darkened. Next, in verse 22, he says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools, fools incapable of any sound thinking about God and the ultimate issues in life. Consequently, they turned to idolatry. Verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. But this downward spiral does not end with idolatry. It goes even lower, leading to men becoming even more deeply engrossed in sin. In verses 24 to 32, Paul addresses the depths of depravity to which unbelieving men and women will go. Since they rejected God and turned to idolatry, in verse 24, we see that God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity or sexual immorality, sexual promiscuity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. I mean, one of the clearest indications of a society or person in rebellion against God is the rejection of God's guidelines for the use of sex. In verse 25, Paul reiterated what he said in verse 23. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. And then in verses 26 and 27, God responds once again by giving them up. This time to unnatural lusts unnatural relationships which are a perversion of God's design. In verse 26, Paul addressed lesbianism. And in verse 27, male homosexuality. I mean, this is where societies who have rejected God always end up. It is an evidence of the wrath of God upon sin. And the Bible makes it very clear that homosexuality is unnatural. It is abnormal. It is not an alternative lifestyle. It is not a biological condition one is born with. It is not a sickness. It is a sin. But thank God that it is is not a sickness and a sin because there is a cure for sin. And there isn't for all sickness. And Paul said, those who practice such things receive in themselves the due penalty for their error. And now in verses 28 to 32, for the third time we see that God in His wrath gives men up. And this time, it's not to sexual immorality, but rather to a debased mind. Not just any sinful mind. This isn't just being futile in their thinking and darkened in their hearts. This is a debased mind or a depraved mind. Look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So Paul begins with, and since. It means in accordance with or in proportion to. One commentator noted, this indicates the exact correlation between their unrighteousness and the punishment about to be described. So this is, this is, Paul here is describing the fitness of these things. And so since or in accordance with the fact that they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up. God gave them up. They did not see fit to acknowledge God, so God gave them up. Well, who are they? We need to determine, first of all, who are they? So let's walk this backwards. In the previous verse, Paul speaks of their error. And then in verse 26, their women, and for this reason God gave them up. Then in verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. In verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 22, they became fools. Although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They are without excuse, verse 20, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Verse 19. In verse 18, we finally arrive at who they are. Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They, in verse 28, are the God rejectors in verses 18 through 27. This describes those who reject God, His Word, and His ways, those who are outside the kingdom of God, who live with ungodly attitudes and unrighteous lifestyles. Now certainly this does not mean that every single person who rejects God becomes attracted to the opposite sex, as verses 26 and 27 describe. Rather, what Paul is describing is a society that has rejected God. As they reject Him and the rightful place He deserves in their lives, God abandons them to this moral tailspin, and some plunge into sexual immorality and promiscuity, others lesbianism and homosexuality. These things become even become prevalent and and celebrated in a society that is dying. It is because of their ungodliness and unrighteousness in suppressing divine truth, their rejection and defiance of God, their turning to idolatry, that God accordingly, fittingly, rejects them and gives them up to His wrath of abandonment. And when Paul writes, they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, he is reemphasizing this initial sin of rejecting God that he described earlier in the section. And this is the fifth time in this section that Paul has stressed their intentional rejection of God. In verse 18, he described them as men who suppress the truth. So when the truth of God is made known to them, they they choose not to receive it but to suppress it. In verse 21, he describes them as those who, even though they knew God, did not honor Him as God. He further identified them in verse 23 as those who exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Reinforcing this truth, Paul adds in verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And then here in verse 28, he writes, They did not see fit to acknowledge God. The Greek word translated here as see fit. It means to test. To prove, to put to the test, to verify, to discern. It involves not only testing, but determining the genuineness or value of an event or object. And this was used in classic Greek to describe the testing of precious metals, especially gold and silver coins, usually by fire, to prove whether they were authentic and whether they measured up to the stated worth. It was also used to describe the passing of a candidate as fit for election to public office. Here in verse 28, it means ungodly men presumptuously put God to the test for the purpose of approving Him. And they determined that He did not meet their specifications for a God who would be to their liking so they refused to approve Him as God who should be worshipped, and thus they didn't hold Him in their knowledge. They, they put Him out of their minds. They rejected the knowledge of God. And although it sounds absurd that sinful men or men would test the holy God, that is exactly what Paul is saying they did. They tested the infinitely precious God as they would a mere coin, and they chose to reject Him as unworthy. They deliberately rejected Him. They they preferred other things to the knowledge of God. And to say that this is a serious matter, I mean, to reject the truth about God, I mean, that's an understatement. Because there is a severe condemnation for those who reject the general revelation of God in creation and conscience. But you know what? There's a much more severe punishment awaiting those individuals and nations who reject the special revelation of God's Word, namely the Gospel. And nowhere is this more true than in the United States of America. And this is the reason for the moral chaos and decline of our society. I mean, think of it. There has never been a nation that has received the vast amount of of gospel truth and light as this country. There have been an unprecedented number of church pulpits, television programs, radio broadcasts, podcasts, publications and publishing houses, Bible colleges and seminaries that have proclaimed the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ across this land. There has never been a people that has had more direct exposure to the light of divine revelation in the Word of God, yet no people have so defiantly rejected this knowledge of God. One man said, there is no more serious sin than rejection of God. The blatant refusal of God reaches a tipping point for any society. God himself is the determinative issue for every nation, culture, and society. The moral decline that we are witnessing is the after-effect of an all-out war against God. This nation has made it clear that we do not want the truth of God in our public life. This country does not want the justice of God in the courtroom. We do not want the mind of God in the classroom. We do not want to see the name of God in the public square. We are seeing the repudiation of God in our national life that arises out of the total depravity of the human heart. I mean, Paul is saying that the root problem is that we don't like having God in our knowledge. I mean, that is the fundamental problem in the world, that is the essence of the human condition. We don't want God, we want self determination and self exaltation. I mean, that was the first sin in the garden, and that is the root of all evil today. We do not want to know God or to have Him in our lives. And so God, in an act of judgment, withdraws His common restraints on our rebellion, and then He gives us over to sink into the swamp that we have chosen. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased They deliberately rejected God as unworthy. They abandoned God, so God gave them up. And this is the third time we've seen this. First, God gave them up to sexual impurity. Verse 24, then God gave them up to lesbian and homosexual activity. Verses 26 and 27, and finally, we read that God gave them up to a debased mind. The word translated debased meant originally, that has not stood the test. That has not stood the test. It means tested and found to be no good. That which is rejected after examination, like a, like a piece of metal that is tested for its quality, but it fails the test, and therefore it's rejected. This word was used of coins that were substandard, so they were not approved. They were rejected as worthless and useless. And so this word came to include the ideas of worthlessness and uselessness. So Paul is using a play on words here that we don't get in our English translations. And his choice of words is just another way of bringing out uh, the fitness of this. Paul is saying that the mind that finds God worthless becomes worthless itself. The rejecting mind becomes a rejected mind. As Job said in, in 21.14, they say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. And God obliges them. That's what is behind the word which is translated debased. They rejected God, therefore, they were rejected by God, and God gave them up to a mind that becomes spiritually depraved, a mind that is spiritually worthless and useless. Men don't want God in their thoughts. So God gives them over to a mind they don't want, a debased mind, a mind without divine restraint, a mind devoid of godly judgment and incapable of understanding, appreciating, or loving the things of God. It's a mind that becomes more and more defective in sin. Not only do they use it to sin, but they they can't even think clearly about sin. They can't recognize it. It's a mind so debilitated and corrupted that it's unable to make trustworthy moral judgments. This means that their thinking is no longer capable of, of reasonable thought. It means that they are unable to think rationally or logically concerning the issues of life. Their mind is rendered incapable of, of rational thought. They make insane choices that they would have never made otherwise. I mean, this, this exercise of divine justice causes them to sink even deeper into sin. Their debased mind causes them to make illogical decisions this is what we have in the transgender bathroom situation i mean is there anything more insane than that that is a depraved reprobate mind incapable of sound thinking and who knows what's next well let me give you an example of what's coming next in the form of news from day before yesterday Non binary Old Dominion University professor calls for destigmatizing pedophilia. Alan Walker, an assistant professor at Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia, is arguing minor attracted people. So they don't even, they've changed the name, they don't even call it pedophilia. Now it's minor attracted people. Those sexually drawn to children under the age of 18. This professor says they should not be ostracized for their attractions, suggesting such urgings are okay, so long as they are not acted upon. Walker, who identifies as queer and non-binary trans, said during a recent interview, there is no morality or immorality attached to attraction to anyone because no one can control who they're attracted to at all. That kind of thinking comes from a debased mind. That is irrational. It is delusional. A debased mind produces all kinds of evils. When it can do nothing except those things, Paul says, which ought not to be done, which ought not to be done. In other words, things that are totally unfitting and, and completely improper. And Paul gives an entire list of antisocial practices of things which ought not to be done. I mean, things which together describe the breakdown of community as standards disappear and and society continues to disintegrate. When that happens, truth becomes relative. What's right is called wrong and what's wrong is called right and it's even celebrated and said to make us free. The debased mind no longer submits to God's standard or any Uh, standard of, any moral standard of right and wrong. I mean, right and wrong are now determined by convenience and preference rather than by the the sure marker of God's Word. And when this happens, chaos and certain behaviors are sure to follow, as verses 29 to 31 make clear. This is the longest list of vices or, or sins found anywhere in Scripture but it's not exhaustive. This is merely representative of the virtually endless number of sins the natural man is filled with. So really, this is just a summary of of godless people. It's representative of, of the total collapse of a society. It's merely the tip of the iceberg of a society that is abandoned by God. And the more God gives the people up to their own unrestrained depravity, the more their society will be marked by these sins in greater and greater and in ever-increasing measure. And now notice verse 29, Paul says, They were filled. Please note that word filled. Not affected by, not influenced by, but filled with. The word filled means to be full or to become, or, or filled to be or becoming, or to become containing as much or as many as is possible. It's just to be filled to overflowing. So this morally depraved culture is described as being filled with, showing that Paul doesn't think of them as half-hearted about their sin. No, he says they're filled with it. They're they're wholly given over to it. Their rejection of God has left room for nothing else. They're under the the, the power and dominion and control of sin. They're, They're not casual partakers of sin, but completely under its power. Paul says they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness. The word all means unrighteousness at every level. God gave them up to a debased, worthless mind. Therefore, they are completely filled and thus totally permeated and controlled, not not just by not just a portion of unrighteousness, they are filled with all unrighteousness. And this word unrighteousness means violating a law, a departure from a standard. This word was used earlier in, in verse 18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ungodliness is the internal attitude, unrighteousness is the external action. Ungodliness is any irreverence toward God, where unrighteousness is any lawless behavior outwardly before Him. So Paul says they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, and then he says evil, evil. This word evil can also be translated wickedness. It's used to describe Satan, the evil one, who deliberately attacks and aims to destroy the goodness of men. It refers to the active, deliberate will to corrupt and to inflict injury. This describes the scheming by evil men to commit their acts of wickedness. So in other words, they don't wait for sin to come to them. They initiate plots to commit sin. Evil. And these first two terms, unrighteousness and evil, are are comprehensive and and general, synonyms that that some commentators believe include all that follows. And if that's true, then the rest of the list is no more than than a filling out of what is meant by unrighteous and evil. So let's go through this list. Covetousness could be translated greed. It's the inordinate desire to have more. It is selfishness unlimited. The, the covetous person pursues his own desires with a complete disregard of the effect on other people. He doesn't care about others, but is a complete egotist. So Paul is talking about the person who is never satisfied. That They're always wanting to have more of something, and no matter what they get, they're unsatisfied. They have a total lack of contentment with what they have in life, which is, of course, an excellent illustration of Paul's point that the sinner is handed over to his sin, that evil is its own punishment. Next is malice. This is another word for evil. could be translated wickedness or depravity. It means evil in general speaks of evil towards others with the implication of a desire to injure others. So they harm others in order to get what they want. They run over people to work their way up the ladder. They, they step on people in order to fulfill their lusts and their greed. Then he says they are full of envy. And So here's that word full of again, meaning that their sin is, is full to overflowing, like, like pouring water into a cup until it's overflowing. Their depraved hearts cannot contain the rising evil that fills it. This word evil means jealousy and and wishing envy. I'm sorry, they're full of envy. Envy means jealousy and, and wishing ill will. It's desiring that others do not have, that others not have what good they do have. Instead, they want what others have. It's the desire to injure others in order to obtain what they have. This doesn't describe merely one person, but rather a whole society of people who are filled with envy. I mean, this picture is the mass chaos of a society where the masses are are jealous or envious of what others have. And everyone's seeking to outdo the other. Next is murder. I mean, envy often results in murder. Murder, killing someone, taking the life of someone else. Very common today. And remember, Jesus extended this sin to being angry with someone else in your heart. So you may not outwardly commit the act, but if you're angry enough in your heart to do it, or you're angry in your heart, a burning, seething anger against someone, Jesus says you're guilty of murder. Murder. The seeds of murder are in all of our hearts when you take into consideration what Jesus said. Of course, this represents those who are willing to take the life of someone else take the life of someone who prevents them from having what they want. And so a mother would be willing to kill her own baby in the womb just to maintain her single lifestyle or or to keep her job and to make more money or the biological father, if he knows, may go along with it simply to free himself from any obligation. They think nothing of committing this kind of murder. Strife which means contention, bickering, quarreling, argumentative, fighting, bitter conflict. This is the contention which is born of envy, ambition, the desire for prestige and place and and prominence. Such a person will, will fight anyone to achieve what they want. And next is deceit. The literal Greek term means a fish hook, a treacherous lie. It refers to any deliberate attempt to mislead someone for your own advantage. I mean, these people are are willing to lie to whoever so that they can get what they want. As one man said, there's nothing straightforward about sin, and sinners do not hesitate to deceive one another if their purposes can be advanced. Next is maliciousness. This speaks of the malignant hatred that is just Uh, churning up inside of them. It is conscious and intentional wickedness, a a character trait that feels a need to see others suffer. And then Paul says they are gossips. That is, they are literally whisperers. This particular word is found only here in the New Testament. And it describes the person with an evil tongue who secretly spreads information, whether true or false which is detrimental to the character or the welfare of others. So this is the man or woman who pours their poison against their neighbor by whispering into the ear. One man said, gossips are private slanderers. Philip's translation is rather picturesque. Uh, Rather than gossips, he translates it as whisperers behind doors and stabbers in the back. That's right. Next is slanderers. This, is, this refers to those who defame others openly. Someone who openly speaks evil against someone with the intention of hurting their reputation. Haters of God. Those who have rejected God do so because they hate Him. And someone would say, oh, no, I don't. Unbeliever may say, oh, no, I don't hate God. Yes, you do. Because the Bible says that you do. If you didn't hate Him, you would run to Him. Those who have rejected God do so because they hate Him. This, this is the one term that is directly aimed at God and not at others. I mean, this person sees uh, God as the barrier between Him and what He wants. You know, they, they see God as someone out to spoil their fun. This is the person that doesn't want any rules. They don't want any accountability. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. They don't want to, and they certainly don't want a holy god defining their morals. The next three words are all concerned with some aspect of pride and are really very similar in their meaning. The first one is insolent. This refers to a lofty sense of superiority out of uh, out of which the, the insolent person treats others as beneath him. And this person is characterized by their offensive, disrespectful acts or statements that are outrageously forward or bold. I and mean, this person is so proud that he defies God. Uh, th- it, is, it is the pride that is totally unaware of its limitation, and it is the pride that goes before a fall. Next is haughty, also translated arrogant. This is the person characterized by an unwarranted sense of self-importance out of overbearing pride. It refers to those who raise themselves up above others. It refers to a man who has a certain contempt for everyone except himself. And this word is used three times in Scripture when it says that God opposes the proud. Next is boastful. And this means vocalizing your supposed superiority and and bragging. This word came from a word meaning wandering. And it referred to wandering merchants who would make all kinds of extravagant claims for their products that could not be substantiated. And the word includes the thought of evil intent. This word is is not used of harmless, amusing exaggeration, but rather evil intent. And then inventors of evil. This suggests a a certain ingenuity in, in devising evil. In other words, people aren't content to go on with the usual ways of sinning, so they invent new, outrageous ways to express their filthiness. Novel forms of evil, sins that that just push the limit. New forms of wickedness, one man said, that earlier would have been totally unimaginable. And they're just pushing the boundaries further than they have ever gone. Next is disobedient to parents, one which so many Christian parents write off as simply, well, they're teenagers or, well, whatever, it's, that's to be expected. No. No, this is a mark of the extent of man's corruption. In a world which took very seriously the obligation to honor one's parents, this was a grievous sin because it implies a lack of gratitude and a contempt for family authority. In fact, the sin of child rebellion was so serious in the Old Testament that it required the death penalty. And this is why it is so important. Parents, listen to me, please. Don't tune me out. This is why it is so important that submission to authority be learned in the home. Because when it is not, when obedience by children to their parents is gone, a society is set on a course of anarchy that knows no limits. You don't think so? Look around at society today. Look around at what goes on in the classroom. Where there is no obedience and respect for one's parents, this moral breakdown leads to a disregard for the law, all law. And there's no respect for any institutional authority, whether it's in the classroom, the workplace, or the government. There's no regard for any authority. I mean, this is every man doing what is right in his own eyes and willing to kill others to get their own way. And this lawlessness begins in the home. So parents, discipline your children. Discipline your children. Children know how to obey if they're taught. And when they don't, there should be consequences. Discipline your children. Train them to be obedient and submissive to your authority. Because if they are not, they will not be submissive to any authority. And they very well could wind up being a felon that we read about in the paper or see on the news. It begins in the home. Next is foolish. It means without understanding, senseless, mentally and morally, no understanding. It refers to those who uh, act stupidly, especially in the moral realm. They don't fear God, which is the beginning of wisdom. They they are without any intelligent thought concerning God or morality. They have no comprehension of who God really is, what His moral law is, or what any common decency is. They don't understand the, the truth of God at the most basic level. Their consciences are seared as with a hot iron. Right and wrong are indistinguishable to them. Next is faithless or untrustworthy. Covenant breakers. This refers to those who break covenants. They don't keep their word. They don't do what they promise. And then they they make up excuses for why they didn't do it. And their pledge to do something no longer means anything. Because they think of nothing Uh, They they, they think nothing of, of breaking their marriage vows or a business contract whenever it's to their own advantage. They are people without any principle doing whatever is most expedient to fulfill their own selfish, lustful desires. And has there ever been a society whose word was any more worthless than ours? One man said, satisfactory living comes to an end when people cannot be trusted to keep their pledged word. But such considerations do not trouble the wicked. Where they see personal advantage, keeping faith does not matter to them. Next is heartless. means without natural affection. No love for family refers to parents who don't love their children or to children who hate their parents or to brothers and sisters who fight with one another and hate one another, heartless or without natural affection. We see so much of that in our society today. Millions of mothers kill their babies before they're born. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of mothers and fathers knock their children around, abusing them, and some die. Children neglect, and others abuse their elderly parents, even murdering their parents. There is every reason to expect that members of a family will be united in bonds of love and affection, and it is a very evil thing when they are not. Next is ruthless. It means cruel and pitiless, unmerciful, uncaring, unforgiving, without any grace in your spirit. This refers to someone lacking compassion and kindness for others. This person's only desire is for self-gratification while having no regard for the good of others. And this is the very depth of evil. And the person who shows no mercy can scarcely go any lower. These are the things that Mark, unregenerate man. Yet, loved ones, none of us reading this list can come away without a sense of conviction because we all know, uh, sadly, that some of these very things are present in our own lives. And so if we are honest with ourselves before God this morning, we will recognize that Paul is also describing our sins. And thus we need to apply the gospel to our hearts and lives on a daily basis, don't we? Well, this is a terrible list of sins. But it's the mark of a civilization that is nearing collapse. When a society turns from God, it begins to disintegrate. And not all of those who are without Christ have done all of these things, but these kinds of things come most naturally to them. And the tendency is for deeper and deeper decline. And this has been the moral decline of countless societies and empires, such as, for example, Sodom and Gomorrah, or the ancient Greek or Roman empires. And it's happening before our very eyes today in America. Any civilization that rejects God will not survive, but rather it will self-destruct. It will implode and collapse from within because it is rotten to the very core. So these are the telltale signs of any godless society in its death throes. And we are currently living in the midst of it. Why? Because as a nation, we have rejected God. We have abandoned Him. And God has given us up to the devastating consequences of our sin. And sin is running its course and just driving us deeper and deeper into the pit. I mean, this is the outworking of God's present wrath of abandonment. You know, we we are being left to the consequences of our depravity. And now as Paul brings this section to a close, he adds one more point. The final mark of those who reject God and in turn are abandoned by Him. I mean, this this is man's flat-out rebellion against God. Look at verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things, and he's talking about everything that he's mentioned in this section. All the things he just mentioned in that list, along with sexual immorality and homosexuality and, you know, the rejection of God. So many people think that uh, homosexuality and sexual immorality are almost the unforgivable sin, but they think nothing of gossip, slander, deceit. But the Word of God says you, need to de- you, you deserve death for all of these things yet some of them have become so respectable in the church. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This word decree is a legal term. It sometimes means a verdict or a declaration that a person is just, but here decree is clearly the meaning. It could be translated righteous commandment. It speaks of an authoritative rule, especially regarding righteous behavior. And so Paul says they, they know, men know God's righteous decree. He's just, Paul is just reminding us again of general revelation. But not only do people know about God's person and power from creation, Romans chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 tell us that God has also written His moral law upon their hearts. And so the conscience of every person bears witness within them concerning what is right and wrong. It is an inbuilt recognition of good and evil. It's it's like a built-in alarm that lets them know what is pleasing to God and what is not. And so that men have enough knowledge to be sure that they should not act in the way they are acting. They know that God justly punishes people who sin in these ways and that God is just when He punishes wrongdoing. You say, do men really know that? Yes, they do. They have a conscience and they know. And that is why there is so much alcoholism and drug abuse. That's why there are so many guilt-ridden people that are just filled with pain and anxiety and regret and, and torment inside because they know it's wrong and they know it's going to be judged. And they know there is inevitability about the judgment of God, even the God they deny exists. And they know that people who practice such things, it means doing something as a regular practice or as a routine habit. They know that those who practice such things as they do deserve death. That's what it says. And death does not mean a human death penalty for the sins of verses 29 to 31, but rather God's ultimate condemnation for such behavior. Behavior. This death is the second death which is eternal death in hell. So they know that those who practice such things deserve eternal death in hell. They know within their moral consciences that there is a final reckoning for their wickedness. They know what they deserve. They deserve hell. But even knowing that, look what we read in the rest of verse 32. Knowing that, they not only do them, what, all these things, but give approval to those who practice them. The depth of man's depravity is seen in the fact that although he knows these things, he makes excuses for his actions, continues in his sin, and and even enjoys doing so. But what is even worse is that he approves and encourages others to do the same thing. Paul says they not only commit such sins, but they give approval to those who practice them. They, so they, they approve. They, they applaud the sin. They're, they're proud of it and defiant in their sinful ways. They flaunt it and, and celebrate it. And this depravity only increases because society as a whole gives it hearty approval. Even though they know that those who practice such things are deserving of eternal death and hell, they applaud and encourage them. And that is because the sins and the immorality Paul has mentioned in the passage makes for higher ratings on television. It's good for business because immorality sells. It expands their viewing audience because this is what corrupt people want. And we as Christians are not exempt from this. You know, loved ones, one of the ways we approve of these things is by sitting in front of it, watching it on television or in the theater, laughing with them when they're doing the very things that Paul says are the most terrible things that come from reprobate minds and are deserving of hell. We approve of it by sitting and watching it, giving it, giving our time to it, letting our minds be subjected to it. And of course, Satan knows that if he can get us to laugh at things we believe that we would never do, our defenses are going to fall. And then maybe, just maybe, someday, our unwitting approval would, will give way to, to action, to actual deeds. And so we need to be careful what we watch. applaud and what we think about knowing that they deserve death because of their sin doesn't deter them one bit why? they love their sin they love the darkness men love their sin because it's evil, Jesus said in John 3, 19 and 20 and this is the judgment the light has come into the world And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. We live in a society that for generations has suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. And so now, as a nation, we've been turned over to a debased mind and and depraved character and passion. So, loved ones, it is no wonder that we are in the mess that we are in. And this is the appalling state of fallen humanity. Man has become like this by refusing to glorify God as God, by refusing to recognize Him as the author of all good who is to be thanked, and by refusing to retain in his mind any knowledge and acknowledgement of the true God. Man is unrighteous because he is ungodly. His nature is twisted and therefore so are his actions. He is perverted within, he is wrong on the inside and this perversion affects all of his judgments and affections and therefore influences all of his choices. I mean, his actions are consistent with his inward nature. And again, it's true that every individual does not commit all the sins which are listed in this chapter, but all men and women have the same nature from which these actual sins proceed, and all are guilty of some of these sins, and some are guilty of all of them. And so what we have here is an accurate, up-to-date description of our society. This is the downward spiral our nation and the world is in at this present time. Our society is decaying and descending further into depravity. We are nearing the bottom of immorality. I mean, there is only one hope to pull out of this death spiral. One hope. So we're not without hope. That's the good news. We are not without hope. But there's only one hope. And it's important for us to understand that we cannot change the culture by petitioning City Hall or the County Board of Supervisors. We cannot change the rapid downward spiral of society by lobbying our politicians or by merely voting certain candidates into office. I mean, certainly as good stewards of the citizenship that God has blessed us with, we should be doing all we can to resist evil and to influence our government toward common decency, toward biblical morals and values like that we see all through our founding documents. But legislation is not going to change the course of America. At best, it may bring some temporary relief, But it's not going to change the overall direction of our nation. Why? Because this is not primarily a political problem. This is a spiritual problem. And therefore, only a spiritual solution will change and transform the desperately wicked and deceitful human heart. And so the answer to what's wrong with America is what Paul declared in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. That's the answer. That's our hope. Our hope is in Christ alone. I mean, only the transforming power of God working through the gospel can explode in lives and reverse this downward spiral toward destruction. And we have to remember that God has not called us to be popular. He has called us to live in this world with one eye on the next. He has called us to trust Him and to follow Him at all costs and to become like Him and to be useful to Him and to stand upon His Word. We must also remember that the wrath of God is much worse than the wrath of man. And all it takes for a society to crumble is for the godly to do nothing. I mean, certainly we cannot do everything. But what we can do, we certainly must do. I mean, we must do all that we can to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. How? Well, through the preaching of God's Word in our churches, through, through Bible studies. And, and most evangelism takes place primarily through personal witnessing, one-on-one witnessing. I mean, when was the last time you shared the gospel with someone or gave someone a track? Or when was the last time you invited anyone to come to church to hear the gospel? We forget that we're not here to live for this world and for ourselves. And we're to get the word of God out however we can. As one man said, this task of evangelization is beyond any one of us, but we must do what we can. We cannot sit back passively while people around us are perishing. And look, God has always worked through a remnant in any nation, hasn't He? God works through the few to affect the many. He works through a handful of followers to alter the course of history, because that way Guess who receives all the glory? He does. Because all glory and honor and praise belongs to Him and to Him alone. As the psalmist said, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to Your name be the glory. So the only solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what changes hearts. I mean, I know this... These kind of messages aren't pleasant. There are messages that are more pleasant than others. This is not one of the more pleasant. But it's the truth of God's Word. It is the accurate diagnosis of what's going on in our our nation and in the world. God is warning us. God is instructing us. Reminding us through all of this that the only solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God's wrath is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, but thank God that Jesus Christ came to die for the ungodly and the unrighteous. And God has provided the righteousness that we need to be acceptable to Him in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son. And this gift of righteousness is not given to those who try really hard, but rather it is given to those who trust in Christ alone for salvation. And so I close by asking this morning, have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone to save you from the wrath of God? I mean, most people, when you ask them, what do you say from? They say, from sin. Well, you're certainly saved from the the power of sin and the penalty of sin, but ultimately you are saved from the wrath of God. Scripture says you are saved from the wrath to come. And so, have you trusted in Christ alone to save you from the wrath to come? Have you trusted in Christ alone for salvation? If not, I urge you, I, I, I plead with you today to turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Run to Him. Because He's your only hope. You're, you're standing on the precipice of an eternal hell. And if you die in your sin, you will surely go there. Turn to Christ today before it's too late. And then for believers, and are you applying the gospel to your daily life so that you're overcoming these sins that characterize the ungodly world, the world that is without God? Or have some of these things been allowed into your life so that now they're almost respectable and you don't give second thought to them. We need to be applying the gospel to our daily lives so that we overcome these sins. We have victory over sin. We do not, as believers, want to be characterized by the sins that characterize an unbelieving, depraved world. And so may God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, work all of these things in our hearts, for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Of Pastor Jim Jarrett and everyone at Calvary Chapel, Reading, Palisadro, we hope and pray this study you just heard will help you grow in the Word. If you have any remaining questions or comments, please call us at 530 547 4400. That's 530 547 4400. Or write to us at PO Box 837, Palisadro, California 96073. You can also email us through the website at ccredding.com. Thank you for listening.